everyone. Very sorry about the lack of sign up there. Um, okay, let's let's make this our default place and our defaults. I'm sorry. I know this is all today was Rosh Chodesh and Hanukkah, so uh, we started a little late, and I hope. Everyone got that memo as well. Uh, but normally we'll start at 8.30 and normally we'll be here for the time being unless there's a sign. So let's assume again, our default is that we're going to be here and let's jump in. Let's jump in. So a little bit of a quick review. We, we spent, oh, if everyone missed the store, there are store sheets by the door if anyone missed those. Um, okay. Make sure. So we'll just do while while everyone's grabbing those source sheets, I'll just do a very quick review of something we spoke about at the end of the last time we studied together, which was two weeks ago. Because uh, this is a very very pertinent, and that is the leniencies about Amira Lenachri about telling a non-Jew what they can and cannot do in the case of illness. So let's let's talk about a couple of categories. If there is a life-threatening situation, or even a potentially life-threatening situation, so you're not sure in such a situation, you do it yourself. You don't go around looking for anyone. Any second you waste looking for someone uh, is, is, is sinful. I mean, it's something you should not do. Again, if there's someone, if it's you, and there's a non-Jew literally standing right next to you, could just as easily do it, great. But assuming that's not the case, if it's a truly life-threatening situation or even potentially life-threatening, do it yourself. So we're not talking about that. That, I think, is a principle we're all well acquainted with. Do whatever needs, I'm sorry, whatever needs to be done to save a person, making the phone call, driving them, whatever needs to be done. Rabbinic, biblical, thank you, sorry. Uh, it's still early, early for me, I'm still on my second coffee. Um, so whatever needs to be done, no matter, all violations fall by the wayside for a situation of li- where it's life-threatening, okay? So we're not talking about life-threatening or potentially life-threatening. However, when it comes to something which is what we call a chola she'en bo sakana, it is someone who is ill, but there is no, what we are called, no, no pressing danger. We don't see this person in a truly pressing, dangerous situation. The example we gave to weeks ago was someone who is ill. So someone who has, let's say the flu. Okay. So they're bedridden. Okay. But they're a healthy person. We're not talking about someone who's elderly, who has other underlying conditions. Someone who is, who has the flu, you know, you're going to get past it. It's dreadful. It's terrible. You don't enjoy it. It's, it's horrible, but you know, 99% of the, cha- you know, the time you're going to get through, a person's going to get through it. It's going to be okay. But during that time, you're in, you know, significant, you know, a decent amount of pain. In su- that's, that's the definition that a person who is bedridden, Okay, is the definition of a chola she'en bo sakana, someone who is ill, who does not, uh, who is not in danger. Again, there's always a percentage of danger. We're talking about a case. Again, the flu, I think, is a fair example. It's it's bad, but it's not. We wouldn't call that a dangerous situation for re- most people. Okay, in such a situation, if a, there is something that the chola, the sick person, needs, and it's not available, not readily available, you are allowed to ask a non-Jew to assist with whatever those needs are to make the person more comfortable slash heal them. So for example, if someone has, uh, you know, the flu and there's some medication they need or they have a terrible ear infection or, or, or uh, migraines and they're bedridden, a situation where they're bedridden and there's some medication that they need that they simply do not have in their house, you could turn to your non-Jewish neighbor and say, hey, I need a big favor from you. Uh, could you please pick up my credit card or buy it on your own? You could say everything explicitly. You could say, could you please drive to the quarry, to the pharmacy, pick this thing up for me and bring it back. All of that is allowed. All of that is allowed, whether there's any rabbinic violations, there are biblical violations. If it's going to assist the person who is ill, that is allowed. Okay? Any questions? Yes. And it's a direct ask. Direct ask. No games. No, no, no hints. Yes, exactly. Ah, well, so we'll get to child in a second. Just want to make sure. Are we, are we good with the, the person who is ill, but not dangerously ill? A person who, yes. Do you consider temperature in that? Having temperature? 
you know, baby within like a week or something? Yeah, so typically within the week, we typically uh, uh, um, assume there's like a default assumption that a person, with, a woman within the week is, is in that status. They're, they're, whether they're better, you know, they're virtually bedridden. And so, yeah, meaning a person after birth in the hospital, whatever needs to be done for them, just ask a non-Jew directly. And, and even when they come home, even if they're getting up during that week, we typically uh, perceive it the same way during the first week. Yeah. Okay, good. Now, uh, so the other thing we spoke about, one, um, two other things, two other categories we spoke about was providing heat for someone who is, if you're freezing cold. So if let's say you have a house where the heating broke um, and it is, you know, so it, it kind of varies. I was just speaking to someone just asked me this, this past out. Oh, thank you, Dina. Um, so, right. So this past house. So, you know, this, past, you know, so it, it varies, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's cold and you could wear like an extra sweater. Okay. And that would enable you to be just fine. Then that's okay. But let's say it's truly freezing um, and or and or there are people in the house who wearing a sweatshirt or wearing even a coat is not going to be enough. And it's going to be truly frigid. Again, life threatening, of course. But we're talking about a case where it's just going to be frigid. You're going to be like really, 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 really cold for all of Shabbos. Then you'd be allowed to ask an Anju directly to go ahead and fix whatever needs to be done to fix that heating. Because the way the Gemara frames it is everyone is sick when it comes to cold. Okay, so cold and sickness are kind of synonymous. We assume coldness is something which is dangerous, potentially dangerous, um, and therefore, if it's extremely cold, again, if I, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, if it's something like I wear a sweater, again, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where it's truly, truly cold. You don't know what you're going to do. You're going to say, how can I go sleep in this house at night? How can I... Uh, that's a situation where you could ask an Anju explicit directly to go ahead and fix it, come to my house, fix the heating, whatever needs to be done. You could go ahead and ask them directly to do so. Okay. The other exception that we spoke about, which is in a similar category, is young children. Young children who are uncomfortable. Um, not just young children who want something just because they want it, but situations where uh, there is going to be some discomfort. So a simple example, a great example of this, is a young child uh, whose light was left on in their room. It's going to be very hard for the young child to fall asleep. Okay. So you'd be allowed to ask directly to a non-Jew, please turn off the lights for this child because they cannot sleep with the light on. So there, again, you wouldn't have to do any hints. You'd be allowed to ask directly to a young child to turn off uh, your lip, excuse me. You'd be allowed to ask a non-Jew to turn off the lights for the young child. Yes. Uh, related to the heating, what if you just forgot to turn the heater on? It's not that it's broken. So it'd be the same, meaning it's the same in terms. So, so yes, it'd be the same equation. If it's going to be like this past Shabbos, was it free? It was a nice day, right? So uh, would it be nice to have, you know, it was probably 65 in your house, 67 if you didn't turn the heat on. Sweatshirt weather, I imagine, for most of us. Again, for most people, right? Uh, but if it was, you know, you lived in Montreal, it'd be the same thing, same thing, right? You know, it's freezing. Exactly, exactly. But the same thing if it's just turning it on, be, it, that would also be a biblical uh, you know, uh, thing. And therefore only when it's freezing, would you be allowed to ask an Anju? Okay. Um, we spoke about a little bit about a debate about how young is young for young children. Some say it's up to three, some say it's up to nine. Yes. Lisa. I don't know if I'm missing something, but I didn't hear any of the things that you're just talking now as if you did it. Did, 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 did you, did I miss something? I think we did at the end of the, yeah. Okay. I think I did for the last five minutes. I, I, I don't remember anything from last week. I listened to my recording. That's my only way of... Or like I did that this morning. But okay. I'm fairly sure in the last five minutes. Yeah, okay. The last five minutes. The age of the children? And every, yeah, because no, 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 no. we had a question around... Um, I, I remember asking a 
question specifically around the lights, I think, when the... About the young children? Okay, so maybe, so... I'm sorry. Uh, no, 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 that's fine, it's fine. I, I didn't listen by, to the details, that's the honest truth, but I just saw we spoke about illnesses. Okay, so bottom line is that there is a debate about the age of a young child. So again, well, there's a leniency when it comes to young children who are in a uncomfortable situation. Uh, the, a great example, again, so lights, turning lights off for a child or turning lights on. Some child, you know, some children cannot fall asleep without a nightlight. So going to the neighbor, right? That's a need. They need to go to sleep and they need that, that comfort of having the light on. You could go to your non-Jewish neighbor and say, hey, can you please turn on this nightlight? My, my three-year-old and, and most are lenient up till nine. Uh, again, depends on the need, you know, but, but uh, you have a five-year-old who can't sleep without that nightlight. You go to your neighbor, say, hey, I need this nightlight turned on and they can do it. No problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. <laughs> no good social. Yeah, we, we were, some of our neighbors were talking about like employing someone to be like the the on call uh, person for the for the neighborhood, like kind of like driving around. You could flag them down. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. In Israel, they have this. The same same question comes up all the time. Uh, I remember like walking, you know, certain cities. You know, certainly more. I remember like uh, being in Bnei Brak for a Shabbos, and like there's just like alarms going off because like no one's around turning anything off. Um, it's just, you know, someone whatever. Okay, um, okay. The last last category, which is a rare category. Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, Rabbi Heinemann, I think, said that if your burger alarm goes off, you should turn it off because the police, if they keep coming and it's not a emergency, they'll stop coming. Right. So here, here's the, here's, here, you want to hear a, a little quick story? So this past Shabbos, I had family here and they were staying at different houses and bottom line is I tried to get one of my family, one of my family forgot a key, some, whatever it was, and I tried to help them get in and I used the side door of one of the houses they were staying at and if I woke up anyone this past, <laughs> you certainly did, I heard it by my house. Uh, the lasses lived two houses over, so you definitely did, but thank, thank you for, for, White lying there. Uh, bottom line is I set off an alarm, okay? And so just as an aside, I was, uh, unfortunately, no cops showed up at your street for the entire day, did they? No. Okay. So, but yes, in theory, in theory, that would be, that, 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 that there would be, we, we, we'll get back to that discussion about turning off alarms. Um, but as the neighbors there pointed out, unfortunately, unfortunately, this is not a joke. This is actually quite serious and sad. Uh, but in Baltimore City, it doesn't seem like the police come oh, for right. alarms. But they uh, do call the house. They do, which did is. They, did the phone ring in the house? We left for a while, then we came back. So. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Okay, that's a bad aside. Okay, fine. Um, one last thing. One last thing, and that is if a person is in a lot of, uh, in, in, in discomfort, but not bedridden. The, the, the best example uh, that I could come up with is someone who has like a bad burn. Okay, let's say you have a burn, right? A burn of some sort. You're not going to go to bed for it, but you're in a lot of pain, right? So in such a situation, that is like a category down, and there you'd be allowed to ask an Anju to violate a rabbinic prohibition for you. So, uh, for example, uh, let's say driving a car might be biblical, according to many. Starting a car would probably be biblical. Maybe it's a Tesla, it's different. But whatever, bottom line is driving a car is typically biblical. But you would be allowed to ask an Anju, could you walk to the pharmacy and purchase something? Purchasing something, money, exchanging money is, is rabbinic. Um, so that would be permitted. You know, I need some Tylenol, I need some cream, I need some, some antibiotic cream for my, for my hands. Again, assuming there's no danger, etc. But a situation where it's just, it's very, very uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable, uh, extremely uncomfortable. I'd be allowed to ask a non-Jew to do something which would be rabbinically prohibited in such a case. Yes. They are the virtually equivalent for almost all. Yes, great question. Um, yeah, so let's assume for all intents and purposes that Shabbos and Yom Tov are, are one and the same. For now. Yes. Let's say you go to your neighbor and you say, do you have any Tylenol? 
and they say no, and you go home, and you know, 15 minutes later, they're knocking on your door saying, you know, I went and I bought you some Tylenol. Um, yeah, so you, um, good question. So let's see. I mean, it's rabbinic prohibition. I mean, they drove, so they did something which is biblically, well, considered biblically prohibited. Uh, they, but they purchased it. So post facto, um, yeah, but right, but you still can't benefit, right? We saw, we spoke about the fact that I'm in a room and they turn on the light over here. Are they going to the store anyway? I believe, right, so the question is, they could have go, they could go, let, let's assume, and I'm going to make my, my life a little easier, let's assume they could theoretically get to the store without being in violation of a biblical prohibition, so you certainly could, assuming it's within some reasonable walking distance, an hour walking distance, which I'm going to assume if they drove for you it is, the answer would be yes. I know I'm not addressing the, the question of, of if they did something biblical for you, I'm kind of avoiding it. Okay. Meaning, if they could have walked, you know, for, an ex- for example, if you have, uh, we're just going to go to a quick, quick aside over here, if you ask, or not, let's say you have some cleaning help on, on Shabbos or Yom Tif, and you say, could you please wash the dishes, um, and they could wa- you could wa- we, could, we could wash dishes on Shabbos in a permitted way, right, let's say Shabbos, cold water and like a Shabbos sponge or with your hands or whatever, if they choose to go put on the hot water and use a sponge, you don't have to stop them. You said, please clean the dishes. It happens to be, it's easier for them to go ahead and clean the dishes using hot water and a sponge. That's on them. You can't tell them to go ahead and do so because those are biblical prohibitions. Um, but if they do it on their own, so similarly over here, if they, um, you know, if you ask someone to go ahead and um, if they did it on their own, even if, certainly if they did it on their own, even if you ask them, you know, then, and they decided to drive where they could have walked, that would be fine. Yeah. Okay. So I hope that was a review slash a little bit developed some of the, the last ideas. That, that's some of the most practical Amir la Akum situations. Yes, Tikvah? Sarah, maybe I'm missing that. So can I, what, what happened to agency in that example so, that you just gave about the hot water and the dishes? What do you mean by so? So meaning they ultimately they're doing something on your behalf. So. Right. So, good question. So, ultimately, the, the, the point that what you are asking, what they are doing on your behalf is cleaning the dishes. Now, th- that, that's the end result. And they, to get to that end result, which is, which is what you're going to be benefiting from, clean dishes, which you're allowed to have. You're allowed to do yourself. So, they, to get to that point, want to go ahead and do something which you cannot let them do. You cannot do yourself. Right? So it's true they're doing those things, but the agency is ultimately clean dishes. Now, they themselves, to, to get to that medium, to get to that the, as a medium, are going to go ahead and do what they want. The agency is only in, it, focused on the end result. That's, I guess, the way to conceptualize it. Yeah. Okay. Let's start, let's start uh, some new topics. Let's go, go to page number one. Everything uh, that we just reviewed is on the back page. Uh, review from class two, for the record. Um, and then we'll have a review from class three on the bottom of that page, uh, the rest of that page. But let's go back to, to source number one. Excuse all the scribbles on the side, um, but we're just going to focus on the words. So we're going to start with the Gemara in Gitin, which says as follows. The Akona Sada Bisuria, a person who purchases a field in Surya. Surya is, guess, Syria. Okay. Kikona Bifarvare Yushalayim. It's as if they purchased in the, in the, in the, in the areas of Yushalayim. Okay, so basically Gemara over here, the, the Gemara Gitin is describing the halachic status of Syria. Of Syria. What, is the, what is the rationale for this discussion? King David, David Melech conquered a part of what we would call modern-day Syria when he was king. Okay? Um, and it has certain halachic um, status. It has the status of Israel for certain things. And it doesn't have a lachic status of Israel for other things, okay? So the Gemara over here is telling us that purchasing a field in Surya is no different than purchasing something in Yerushalayim. So the Gemara says, Lamai Hilchasa, regarding which halacha is this so? Um, Rav Sheshes says, Rav Sheshes, Lomar Shekosven Alav Ono, 
Vafilu b'Shabbos. Rav Sheshis explains that this halacha is to tell us that you're allowed to write a contract about purchasing a field on uh, for purchasing a field from Syria on Shabbos. Okay, you're allowed to write a contract about purchasing a field. Ask the Gemara b'Shabbos Do you do you think you could write something on Shabbos? What are you talking about? How could you possibly write a contract on Shabbos? So the Gemara answers Kedarava as Rava says, Omer la'oved kochavim ve'oseh. What he meant to say was that you could tell a non-Jew to do it. Hachinami here too, meaning that, that statement of Rava was in a different context. Rava was saying about something else that you're allowed to tell a non-Jew to do. Hachinami here too. Omer la'oved kochavim ve'oseh. You're allowed to tell a non-Jew to do. Va'afa gavda mira la'oved kochavim shvus. Even though telling a non-Jew to do something is rabbinically prohibited, Mishum Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, for the sake of settling the land of Israel, lo gazor rabbanan, the rabbis did not make a decree. Okay, so the Gemara over here is concluding by telling us that when it comes to, the Gemara is telling us that you are allowed, Surya, Syria, is like Israel. Meaning what? Meaning that there is a mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. There's a mitzvah to live in the land of Israel. Not only is there a mitzvah of living in the land of Israel, that means that, um, that it's, it's important that Jews own, that Jews purchase parts of the land of Israel to ensure that there are Jews who live in the different parts of the land. So the Gemara over here is telling us if there is a land that shows up, as a possibility of purchase, you have the opportunity to buy land in Israel. Um, and the, the commentator is qualified. It doesn't mean I'm buying it from another Jew. What it means is if I'm buying it from a non-Jew, that means I'm causing Israel to go from non-Jewish hands to Jewish hands. That is the mitzvah that we're referring to over here. So there is someone who has some land anywhere in Israel, including Syria, who is selling their land and the only, it goes on sale on Shabbos. I'm allowed to go ahead and ask a non-Jew to write a contract for me for the sake of that land, so that I could fulfill the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, of settling the land of Israel. Okay? Now, let's, let's, now let's analyze this for a second. Is, the Gemara over here is clearly telling, now until now, we've seen illness being an exception, right? Where you could tell a non-Jew to do something explicitly. Otherwise, we never saw, we haven't seen any such exceptions that you could just tell a non-Jew to do something for the sake of a mitzvah, right? But over here, we're being taught that for some, at least one mitzvah, you are allowed to tell a non-Jew to go ahead and do something. And the million-dollar question is, is this limited to the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, of settling in the land of Israel, that the rabbis, when they instituted the prohibition of Amira La'akum, when they, pro- when they instituted the, the prohibition of not telling a non-Jew you, things, there's an exception called Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, living in the land of Israel, or is this a much broader exception that any, when it comes to any mitzvah, you're allowed to ask a non-Jew to do something for you, to assist you, in the performance of the mitzvah. Right? You see the difference, right? The Gemara is talking about a particular case. Can we extrapolate from that case or is it limited to that case alone? Is this only about, is this, do we stop here and say, okay, when it comes to the land of Israel, that's where you're allowed to ask non-Jew to do something for you? Writing is, by the way, biblical, a biblical prohibition. Or is this saying that all, for all mitzvahs, and this happens to be the story that's talking about this particular mitzvah. Right? That's the question. That's the, that's the question. So if you look at the Gemara in Erevin, uh, this is another important Gemara for this. If you look at source number two, this is another relevant Gemara for this discussion. Uh, one piece of background, and that is that in, um, in the ancient world, in the times of the Gemara, they assumed that for a ch- after a child uh, received, uh, that part of the bris ceremony, part of the bris, part of the circumcision, was that they would bathe the child in hot water afterwards, okay? That was just something that they would do all the time. We don't do that nowadays, but that was seen as like an integral part. You would not do a bris. It was seen as potentially dangerous without doing so, and therefore, if you didn't have hot water, you would typically push off the bris, okay? Again, nowadays, no one 
as far as I know, no one does that. But that was assumed. And so the, 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 that, that was basically the only way you could perform a circumcision. It's like doing a bris without, band, without like bandages. That would be insane, right? You can't do that. So similarly, they wouldn't do a bris without having hot water. Okay? So the Gemara has a story. The Gemara says, uh, source number two, Gemara in Erevin, Hahuyanuka, regarding a certain child, Dishtapech Chamime, that, that his hot water got spilled. In other words, there was hot water prepared for this bris, and it spilled. Okay, it happens. So there's no hot water, and it's the eighth day. The child has a bris on Shabbos, and there is no hot water. So Amrlehu Raba, Raba said, Naisulei Chamime Migaye Besai. He says, go bring... Uh, go bring hot water from one of the houses in the courtyard. Amrle Abaye, Abaye said to him, Vehalai Arvinan. So there's no Erev. Okay, Amrle Nismach Ashituf. Okay, but they are, we're not going to get into a whole discussion about the different ways of bringing different areas together. But basically, you have courtyards, there's something called Ashituf, uh, where basically they become partners and you could carry. Fine, Amrle Halo Shatfinan. They never made this partnership. So basically, saying it's all uh, you cannot carry in this area. That's the bottom line. So Nemru, so what does Rabbah say? Nemru le lenachri le se le. Tell a non-Jew to go ahead and bring it. Okay? Tell a non-Jew to go ahead and bring it. So we're talking about in a courtyard, okay, carrying in a courtyard which doesn't have any connection, any Erev or any combination. Is that biblically prohibited or rabbinically prohibited? It's rabbinically prohibited, okay? In other words, biblically, you cannot carry in like a full-fledged public domain, which means there's like hundreds of thousands of people walking a very truly public, in a courtyard, which doesn't have a couple of houses within a, like in a big field that doesn't have anything combining them or any fences, that it is rabbinically prohibited to carry in such a place. And Rabbah's saying, you could ask someone to bring hot water from one of the other houses. That's the end of the Gemara, okay? Fine. What do we see from this Gemara? So some of the commentators want to extrapolate from this Gemara. One, Rabbah could have said one of two things. One, he could have said, you know, well, let's try to see if we can get hot water from somewhere else. But he also could have said, once we're having a non-Jew getting hot water from another house, why didn't he just turn to ask this non-Jew to go ahead and do what? Boil water. Boil water, right? But Rabbah did not do so. Rabbah specifically, he found, he kept on trying to find ways to bring water from somewhere else, which is only rabbinically prohibited, whereas boiling water would have been biblically prohibited. So from the fact that he did not instruct the non-Jew to do so, or say that the non-Jew should be instructed to do so, therefore they extrapolate from here that even though this is impacting a bris, one of the greatest mitzvot, right? It's a bris meal, a circumcision. Nonetheless, he was only comfortable, Rabbi was only uh, comfortable allowing them to violate a rabbinic prohibition and not a biblical one. So if you put these gemaras together, what would seem to come out is that when it comes to a mitzvah, you are allowed to ask a non-Jew to, when it comes to helping you perform a mitzvah, you'd be allowed to ask a non-Jew to violate what is a rabbinic prohibition for us, with the one exception of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael living in the land of Israel. There, you'd be allowed to ask them to violate a biblical prohibition. But everywhere else, it would seem, based on these two Gemaras together, that every other mitzvah, you'd only be allowed to ask a non-Jew to violate what is a rabbinic prohibition. Yes? So two things. First of all, with the first Gemara, if it was trying to say that you're always allowed to ask a non-Jew for any mitzvah, it, I feel like the wording would have been because it's a mitzvah instead of because it's a mitzvah of Yishev Eretz Yisrael. Yeah. So it's a very specific you see my scraggly underline? Yes. Yes, I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> that's that's okay. me agreeing. But then on the other side, for the second, <coughs> Gamar, if you would have asked, I feel like even in a situation where you're allowed 
to be over on a on a derisa, you still try to lower. You would the try bar. to lower the bar, so right? I don't know if that's an argument in this case. No, it's a very it's a very fair question. It's a very fair question, right? So our, let let's let's just uh, review both those points, right? So going back to the first Gemara, it's you know the Gemara is pr- presenting in the first Gemara, the Gemara is presenting a principle. If it's really presenting a principle that mitzvos are allowed. Well, in general, it should have been a little more clear about that. Because again, in the, Gemara, in, in, in the first Gemara, it is telling us, Afagab, it's not, it's not quoting someone, it's telling, this is a, this is a principle. Even though, even though that's rabbinic, Mishum, because of something, the rabbis didn't decree. Right? So if it's giving us a principle, and it's true for all mitzvahs, it should have said, Mishum mitzvos lo Right? So Yael's pointing out, the fact that it chooses to just limit, zoom in on this one mitzvah, seems to indicate that it's really limited to Yishev Eretz Yisrael, which is the approach that 95% of the commentators take. And part of it is based on this line. It's fair that in the, other, in the second Gemara, it's possible that the proof that it's limited to Yishev Eretz Yisrael is not so strong, right? Because, uh, you know, there, there, Rabbah's dealing with two possibilities. One is the rabbinic violation. One is the biblical violation. So it's possible that it could have been. It's also important that Gemara is presenting this as a story, you'd expect the Gemara to unpack it a little bit more. Meaning, you typically, let's say a Mishnah would typically give you the most novel ruling. And if it does give the lesser of the most novel rulings, you'd have to ask yourself, why? Um, and usually there'd be some discussion explaining why. But in a van, there is no further discussion in this, in this Gemara. So, yeah, it, it's true. It could be the principle is try to violate the rabbinic instead of the biblical if it's available. But alternatively, the fact that it's all Rabbah says would seem to indicate that this is really all you could do in this case, right? Meaning Rabbi could have said, get hot water from one of the neighbors, and if it's not available, heat it up. That would have been the most ideal way for him to present the, the you know, present the answer. Okay, sorry, was that? Yeah, Tara. Uh, um, in the case of the water for the breast, it's allowed, but it's not required. Meaning, like, if somebody's deciding, should we have the breast, and I have to ask someone, or I, I don't feel comfortable asking someone, or maybe I'm not sure what the halacha is, are they missing something by? Are they making, you know? so in, in 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 the times of the Gemara they would just have avoided the bris. They would just have, they would have waited till Sunday. Meaning it was so unheard of that that's the premise in every Gemara that it was just again it's like for them it was the equivalent of doing a bris without bandages. If you would say, hey Rabbi, all we have is a knife. We don't have bandages. Can we do the bris? I'd say no. If, I'm saying even if you could ask a non-Jew, it, like it, it's it's an option, mm-hmm. but they, you, you'd say they would just avoid it. They would just wait till Sunday. Right, so let's let's say there was no the only option was to heat up the hot water, right? Then then from this guard, it sounds like the answer would be yeah they would have to wait they would wait till Sunday because it would, the only way to to make the bris happen was to violate a biblical uh, biblical prohibition absolutely yes yes okay so most let's let's look at the Rambam here two sections of the Rambam let's look at source three and four um, says the Rambam. And here he's codifying, right? So we're gonna, it's going to be very, the Rambam's job is basically to take Gemaras and, and codify them. He basically paraphrases the Gemaras, um, but he synthesizes all the different Gemaras and presents principles. So says the Rambam, uh, source number three, A person who purchases a house uh, in Israel from a non-Jew, not from a non-Jew, he's allowed to tell the non-Jew to write a document on Shabbos. Why? Shamir l'nachri b'Shabbos, since telling a non-Jew to do something is prohibited only rabbinically, when it comes to settling the land of Israel, there is no such decree. The rabbis, when they instituted the prohibition of not telling a non-Jew to do something, did not include living in Israel in that prohibition. Says the rabbim in source number four, something which is not a biblical melacha. And the only reason you cannot do it on Shabbos is because it's rabbinically prohibited. 
Okay, so it's a rabbinic violation. Mutter, you are allowed to tell a non-Jew to do it on Shabbos if the following conditions are met. Either there is some partial illness, that's what we spoke about today, earlier, and last week. Or there is great need, which we'll analyze soon. Or because of a mitzvah. So the Rambam clearly writes that when it comes, for the sake of a mitzvah, you're allowed to ask a non-Jew to violate a rabbinic violation. It is only when it comes to living in Israel that you're allowed to ask a non-Jew to violate a biblical violation. You with me? Yes. So does this mean that a rabbinic, just in general, that you can let a rabbinic prohibition prevent you from doing mitzvah daraita? Let's give an example. Yeah, so bris milah, yes. Uh, meaning, let's say, you, yeah, absolutely. Good, good, let's spell this out, right? Meaning, I have an obligation, there's an obligation to circumcise your son on the eighth day. Um, and be, the only way I could do so is because I need to get something. Um, but for a bit, sorry, just want to say that better. But, but I'd be allowed to ask a non-Jew to do something which is rabbinically prohibited. Yeah, but the rabbinic prohibition against asking a non-Jew. Sorry, so maybe, can you repeat your question then? I'm sorry, I don't think I... There's a rabbinic prohibition against asking a non-Jew to do something for you. If right. not for that rabbinic prohibition, you could ask a non-Jew right. to do something for right. you. Right, So the rabbinic prohibition is, prevent, is preventing the mitzvah de areta, the, 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 the biblical right. mitzvah. I mean, in this case, it isn't. Well, in this case, it isn't because I'm allowed. So, so meaning even to do a biblical, right? Because sorry, it's just biblical to do something biblically prohibited. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Um, so the the short answer, is a great question, right? So so how could this be, right? How could the rabbis come along and institute something which would, by definition, what, what, which would cause me to violate a biblical prohibition? This question comes up a number of times in 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 different sections of the Talmud. This scenario is, is one of the easier ones, meaning there's, because the rabbinic institution does not go head-to-head directly with the biblical one, meaning there's an all-encompassing rule, right? And it happens to be certain applications are going to prevent me from fulfilling biblical obligations. That's one of the answers the Gemara sometimes gives, um, and that is, whereas if the rabbis were to go ahead and institute something which is, by definition, op- oppositional to a biblical mitzvah, that, that's where usually the answer is they cannot, like, how, do, how could they do so? We need to find some answer. But over here, I, there is, the rabbinic institution is not directly head-on against it, and so the answer would be um, that, yeah, when, they, when, the, when they're creating a general Thing, they could. In addition, even when it is going head to head, b'sheva altasa. If it's a, if it's saying you don't do something, then typically the rabbinic prohibition is able to do so. Okay, that's a sidebar. Thank you. But yeah, but a great question. Yes. I was going to say uh, Right, right, right. So that's and that's a sheva altasa. That's where it's uh, that's where it's uh, basically do not do. So therefore, it is able to do so. Okay, right. Okay, good, good. Um, so this is how the shulchan aruch paskins. If you are Sephardic, this is your ruling. Um, so the, according to the Sephardim, you cannot ask an Anju to do anything which is biblically prohibited um, on Shabbos, even for the sake of a mitzvah, as the Rambam codifies it over here. Yes? Sorry, not to confuse things, but can't you make any mitzvah doraita into a mitzvah doraita, or is there doraita, by doing it with a shinoi? Good. Well, so, you're, you're getting ahead of us. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Can you ask an Anju to do it for, with you for, do something for you in a shinoi? We'll, we'll get to it in a later class. Good, 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 good. For, for we'll start these earlier principles. Yeah. So the, the ruling of the Shulchan Aruch, which again is how Svartim Paskin, is exactly how the Rambam says this. The Rambam basically is writing that for a, if, if, uh, if you need, the only way you're going to perform a mitzvah is to do something which is biblically prohibited. I'll give you an example. You, you are, it's, 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 uh, it's nighttime or whatever, you know, uh, let's say it's a mitzvah drabana, it's tefillah. It's nighttime, the lights go out, um, your fuse blows in Shul, okay? And it's Ner Tamid and they built it with no windows. 
Okay, um, so you cannot see. Most people are, you know, we don't know the, the davening by heart. What are we going to do? You can't daven? Um, so according, so Spartak Psak would be, you cannot ask a non-Jew. Uh, well, well, maybe one person davening. We'll stick to that. Whatever. You're davening. You cannot see. It's a mitzvah to daven. I can't do without a sitter. You would not be able to ask a non-Jew to go ahead and do so. However, Ashkenazi Psak is a little bit more complicated because, and I'll, I'll just premise this by saying that although I just presented one way of learning these Gemaras, there is another opinion um, it is brought down by the Baal Ha'itr and the Baal Hilchos Gidolos, okay? Two early commentators who do argue, all, they disagree with uh, the, the analysis we just gave, and they say that Gemara and Gitten, which says that you're allowed to ask an Jew to do something biblically prohibited for the sake of a mitzvah, is true not only for Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, but it's true for all mitzvahs. It happens to be that Gemara was talking about Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. Now, the other commentators disagree for many of the reasons we just mentioned, but let's leave the deeper analysis aside. Their understanding is the Gemara and Gittin is true for all other mitzvos, And for all other mitzvos, any mitzvah you're allowed to ask an Jew to go ahead and do whatever for the sake of uh, a biblical, uh, you know, for the sake of a, uh, you're allowed to ask an Jew to do a biblical prohibition for the sake of fulfilling a mitzvah. Okay? That is the opinion of some, some commentators. Let's see how this is brought down in the Ramah. What you have at source number five is uh, from the Ramah. Again, the Ramah is Ramosha Israelis. That source number five should be on the bottom of the first page. Is that there? Yeah? Yes. Okay. Um, the last two lines on, 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 on the first page. And the Ramah, again, Ramosha Israelis, he writes like glosses. He writes a little commentary to the rulings of the Shulchan Arach and, and presents the Ashkenazi Psak. So he says something a little bit convoluted, for lack of better words. He says, Yesh Omrim, there are those who say, Demutter Lomar Le'eni Yehudi, you're allowed to tell a non-Jew, Lahadlik loner lisuudas Shabbos, that you're allowed to ask an Jew to light a candle for you so you could eat your Shabbos meal. If you're sitting in the dark, it's very hard to eat. Imagine a house was completely dark, so you, 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 you can't eat. So you're allowed, he says, you're allowed to ask an Jew, turn on the lights in the house so I can have my Suda Shabbos. Now, Suda Shabbos is a mitzvah to have a meal on Shabbos. Why? Mishum, because the sphere they hold, demutter amir le'en Yehudi, that the telling an Jew is allowed. Afilu b'malacha gemura, even with a full-fledged malacha, i.e. a biblical malacha, b'mako mitzvah, when it comes to the do or the performance of a mitzvah. Let's skip the, the parentheses. Shalpizeh, let's turn the page. Shalpizeh, uh, top of the next page. Nahogu rabim, many are accustomed, lahakel to be lenient, bidavar in the matter, litzavos le'ena yehudi, to instruct a non-Jew, lahadlik neros to, to light candles, litzorech suda for the sake of a meal, biprat specific, even more specifically besudas chasna omila. Certainly, when there's like another layer of mitzvah, it's like a wedding meal, like a sheva brachlos meal or a circumcision meal, a mila meal. Okay, so basically, it says there are many who rely on this thing. Vein moche biyadam, and and we don't protest what they're doing. Okay, saying we don't protest what they're doing. What does it tell you about his uh, stance? He's like, okay. They're doing it. We don't throw rocks at them. Don't throw rocks at anyone. But he's saying, we don't, whatever, we don't, we don't protest it, but, you know, whatever. Okay? He says, V'yesh l'hachmer, he says, really, if you're asking my opinion, we should be stringent. V'makom she'en tzorech gada. Unless there is a great need. Okay, why? Deharova postkim cholkim asvarazu. Because most authorities disagree with this view. Okay, so the Ramah basically brings down, he says, there are those who do this when it comes to a mitzvah. They rely on the minority view who understood that Gemara to be saying it's not limited to Yishu of Eretz Yisrael, it's true by all mitzvot. And therefore, if I want to have my Shabbos meal, I want to daven, and it's dark here, I can say, hey, my uh, ask my non-Jewish neighbor, please you turn on the light. No problem. According to this view, he says, really, we don't love it. We don't 
protest it. We don't tell them, you know, we don't yell at them. We don't tell them they have to stop. But really, unless there's a great need, which we'll have to have to define what's a great need. Okay, we'll have to, sorry? What do you consider? So we'll get there. We'll get there. Unless there's a great need, we should really, uh, we really shouldn't rely on this. Okay? So let's, let's make things a little bit more complicated. Um, let's look at the Mishnah Bura. If you look at, um, you, see there's a, you see the Mishnah Bura, it's on the left. The left column is the Mishnah Bura. This is the, the commentary of the Chafetz Chaim. Um, and if you look at, um, the, by the letters Chaf Dalid, okay, by the letters Chaf Dalid, um, he says, we're going to read uh, the, the Mishnah Bura together. So look, source Chaf, um, um, number Chaf Dalid. So he says, She'ein, he's going on the words, unless there's a great need. Ushla, okay, the Shla is one of the great uh, Lachic authorities, Hichmir, he was stringent. Aflitzorich Gadol. He was stringent. Even if there's a great need, he was strict and said, absolutely not. Vishakain Ra Noagim, Bikilos Chashuvim, and he he attests the fact that in many great communities he saw, Shiyoshvim Bechashecha Bemotse Shabbos, that they would sit in darkness at the end of Shabbos, meaning the, the masses would sit in darkness on Saturday nights, you know, before Shabbos was over. Afilo Bechasana, even if it was a wedding. Until they said Baruch they did not rely on this in many communities. They did not rely on this um, until until Shabbos was over. And similarly, uh, another you know great sage was uh, had this practice. Even though there are non-Jews around, when they were eating sudashlishis, they would eat in the dark. By the way, if you go to Israel, uh, they have you know the the cool thing to do is they have these like all the Hasidic Rebbes have sudashlishi in the dark. Um, and it's like very, uh, it's very intense and very, it's beautiful, a little scary, uh, but it has like this certain stuff, but, but it's based on this halacha, you know, basically it didn't have lights. Um, and now they, they put their timers to have the lights go off. So it sits there. It's like uh, one of those things, but, but basically back in the day, they just didn't have the, the candles burnt out, you know, after the night, the daytime, they had the light from the outside. And then at night they just sat in dark, even though there are non-Jews around, they didn't ask them. Because, even though, oh, it's a mitzvah, doesn't matter, right? This is what he's bringing down. He's saying the Shlah is saying, that, no, even for the sake of a mitzvah, we don't, even for a great need, uh, you know, it's a group of people having a mitzvah, doesn't matter. Okay, let's skip those under those underlying lines. Let's go to Chafei, three lines down, okay? He says, Nonetheless, You are allowed to ask a non-Jew to fix the Erev which got ruined on Shabbos. Okay, so this, let's imagine a scenario where it's got very windy and the Erev goes down. Fixing the Erev very possibly will involve many biblical, uh, you know, prohibitions. He's going to, they're going to knot the string. They're going to climb a ladder. I don't know, whatever. I, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what they have to do? But it could very likely involve many biblical violations. It's allowed. In order to prevent people from sinning, right? When the Erev goes down, it's always like, Remember, it happened once since I moved to Baltimore. It's such a craziness, right? Don't tell people, don't tell people, right? It's a whole thing because people don't know. How do we, do, do you check the errors up before Shabbos? I, never, I haven't checked my life. Uh, I'm probably a bad rabbi. Okay, but what's it called? But you do, good for you. Well, no, that's great. Let me know if it goes down, please. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> um, no, you know, we assume, and we're allowed, by the way, you're allowed to assume. You're, that, that's, you're allowed to make an assumption that it's up. Um, but, but the bottom line is most people do not know, right? Most people do not, and again, it's a good thing to check, but most people do not know if it's up. And so in order to prevent people from sinning, from carrying on Shabbos, you're allowed to ask an non-Jew, he's saying, even though we said, you know, for the fact that there's a group of people eating Shalashudis and it's dark and they're not going to see their food, too bad. But if it's going to prevent people from sinning, then the Tzorech Rabim, for the sake of the masses, to prevent them from sinning, the Mishnah Bura writes that it's allowed. Okay? And then he says we can rely on this for, for, for such a thing. Okay. Um, even if it's a biblical, a biblical mitzvah. Okay. Um, okay. 
Okay, let's, uh, uh, did I skip a source? I skipped a source. I'm sorry. So okay, that, yes? Is that the same that would say you can ask, even if it's not the million dollar question. So, so here we have, and here, this is the source I skipped. I feel terrible. Okay, there is a tshuva of Rav Moshe who speaks about turning on air conditioning in Shul. Okay? And he says, and he says, you know, it's very, very hot. And if there is no air conditioning, people are not going to stay in shul. It's just they, they can't, it's unbearable, you know, and they, they're not going to, they're going to miss davening, but Sibor, you know, as a congregation, they're going to miss Kresa Torah. Most, you know, they might have a minion, but half the people are going to go home. They just can't sit through that. So Moshe says, look at the Mishnah The Mishnah says, for the sake of the masses, you're allowed to go ahead and do so. That's not what it says. Good. So Ramosha, right? So it's... <laughs> It's not, what, it's not what the Mishnah says, right? The Mishnah says it's to prevent people from sinning that you're allowed to do so. Uh, yes? So it sounds like we're assuming that being over uh, a negative mitzvah is worse than not doing positive mitzvah. Because preventing people from carrying a Shabbos is worthwhile to ask them not to do something. But to and allow them to do a mitzvah say like dominating Correct, correct, correct. Violation is always going to, in some respects, is going to be worse than... than Correct, not correct. Really not able to exactly, exactly. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so Ramosha extrapolates. He brings a couple of stories. He quotes this Mishnah Bura, which I, I, I agree with you, Shelley, 1,000%. Not only that, um, uh, um, the Mishnah Bura elsewhere, actually, and for those of you who are, we remember had like an art class in, in, in Sholanda, Shalas, which would be like a, a, a wood pet etching. Uh, there is, a, for Ne'ilah, in many Shuls, there's like a non-Jew in the corner um, who is standing in the corner. There were lights lit in a Shul Ne'ilah. I'm getting stares. Okay. In Shul and Shalas, I showed everyone a picture from like the 16th century where there was this uh, uh, wood etching. There we go. Uh, and, and basically, he came into, the, basically, you have a picture where there's this non-Jew in the corner and there are lights on. And it's clearly during the Ilah. And this is clearly a very well-established practice that a non-Jew would come towards the end of Yom Kippur and light candles. Okay? So let's think this through. Where does that come from? So clearly, they're relying on the opinion of that. that so they're, they're doing something. And it's a, for the sake of a mitzvah, so they could daven, right? So the arguments would be that it's for the sake of a mitzvah, and it's the rabbim, and it's, a, and it's the masses, right? Which is kind of like what the Ramosha was just telling you. Um, you know, if they didn't daven the ilah, again, they didn't fulfill a positive mitzvah, okay? It's not, not a good thing, don't get me wrong, it's a, it's a big deal. But the bottom line is, uh, but clearly, this is what the practice was, the, the Mishnah Bura has like very strong words about this. This is crazy. What are you doing? How are you allowing this to happen? You can't let, you can't let them do that. Uh, do it because the Mishnah Bura holds clearly that the only time you're allowed to rely upon this is if it's preventing someone from sinning. But if it's just assisting someone in doing a mitzvah, he does not allow it. But, okay, so here's, that's why I'm telling you it's getting complicated. You ready? Okay, here, here let's bring down the opinions. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to run on my imaginary, imaginary board over here. Okay. We have a prohibition called Amir Lanach, where you cannot ask Ananji to do something. We saw one except, we saw an exception for Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, for live, mitzvah living Eretz Yisrael. Everyone says you're allowed to ask Ananji to do something which is even biblically prohibited. Okay. You have some opinions who say for all mitzvos, you're allowed to ask Ananji to do something. Um, for to enhance, to allow you to perform any positive mitzvah, you're allowed to ask a non-Jew to do a biblical violation. Okay, so for example, the example that would be if I am, uh, if I am, uh, you know, need to, uh, you know, have my Shabbos meal. According to this opinion, I'd be allowed to ask a non-Jew to go ahead and light a candle, which is a biblical prohibition, for the sake of me. I'm sorry. We'll get to the fridge. We'll get to the fridge. Yeah. Uh, so to 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 what's called to light my candle for the sake of me fulfilling the mitzvah. Fine. That's according to this. Uh, this, you know, according to, according to the more lenient opinion. Then we saw, right? Still with me? Right? Right. And then we have many who disagree who say, yes, but not entirely. 
there are those who say there is the, the shla, and, and many who say that even for the sake of a mitzvah, you cannot ask a non-Jew to do anything. Okay, even for the sake of a mitzvah, and even if it's a great need of a mitzvah, even if it's a great, great need, you would not be allowed to ask a non-Jew to do something. Okay? And then, and then, sorry, now I lost my train of thought, I'm sorry. And then you have those who say that if it's for the sake of a great group of people, and it prevents them from performing, it'll ensure that they will not sin, you're allowed to do so. That's the opinion of the Mishnah Bura. Okay? So, like, fixing the Arab. And then you have an opinion who's more lenient, okay, and this is probably what I'm going to say is the most normative of the views, and that is your Moshe and others who say that if it's for the sake of performing a mitzvah, and it is for the masses, okay, the rabbim, we'll define what the rabbim is in a moment, okay, so it's for the sake of fulfilling mitzvah and it's the masses, you are allowed to ask a non-Jew to violate what would be a biblical prohibition in order to insist the performance of a mitzvah. So, for example, asking a non-Jew to light candles for the time of ni'ilah to ensure that people can daven ni'ilah, according to this viewer of Ramosha, it would be permitted. According to the Mishnah Bura, it would not. Because uh, it's not like when the Erev is down and people are going to be carrying unknowingly. It's just to enhance and assist you in performing mitzvah. That's not enough. If it will help you to ensure that people will not violate an Avera, that would be enough. So again, according to Ramosha, you could ask a non-Jew, it's very hot in here and no one's going to daven. Please turn on the turn on the air conditioning, right? Please turn on the heat. Uh, you know, those would all be allowed. Please turn on the lights. Those things would be allowed to say it explicitly, right? Um, whereas, according to uh, the Mishnah those would you would not be allowed to ask in such a case. Okay, yes. Just your review um, right before Rav Moshe. Those who say it's for the masses and would cause them not to sin can do so. Is can ask to do. Uh, rabbinic or... Even biblical. Even, so far, we're all talking about biblical right now. We'll get to rabbinic in, in just a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So everyone with me? Yes. How did he make that jump? Ramosha? Yeah. Because, I mean, the Rishabura doesn't actually say... He says it's to keep the masses from sinning. Yeah. I, I, I believe he includes... So you have to see the tshuva entirely, and I, and I haven't looked at the whole thing in a while. Um, but I, I, there, there's a cup, you know, there, there's two pieces. One is the Tzorach Mitzvah, and also the Mishnah Bura mentioned there's like two qualifications. One is the Tzorach Gadol, a great need, and one is the Tzorach Mitzvah. It's like a merging of those two pieces, that this is a great... A great need is both in terms of uh, quality, but there's also a sense of quantity. If, like, if so many people need it, then it becomes a great need. Um, one, yeah, yes? Sorry, no, sorry, no, so Ne'il is an interesting example, because it's something you would never be able to do if you didn't have the assistance of a guy. Well, you could have large candles, uh, you know, I mean, lots of oil. Okay, there's, there's yeah, I'm, there's right, I'm assuming. We have Lord, Yurtzai, the 48-hour Yurtzai candles. Okay. I'm sure that wasn't a 21st century invention, right? So uh, I, I guess, right? Um, whatever, they'd have to come up with something. But yeah, they'd have to come up with something. Um, okay, so so again, based on these different views, right? Just plug this into what happens in shoals all the time, right? Um, you know, so some shoals will ensure that all the lights are on and everything before Shabbos and everything's set uh, for good reason, right? Because uh, according to, you know, the Mishnah Bura, this is the, what, what should be done. The according to the Mishnah is saying that for the sake of ensuring people are davening, you can't ask a non-Jew to do something. Those shoals that rely on asking a non-Jew to do something are relying on this opinion of Ramosha. I imagine even Ramosha would say if you're able to set these things up beforehand, you should. Uh, but he would say that if you didn't set it up or for whatever reason it cannot be done, there'd be what to rely upon to ask a non-Jew to go and change the thermostat and to turn the lights on uh, for the sake of those mitzvos. Okay? Yes? You can get around all of this by hiring someone and, and giving them instructions before Shabbos, right? Or giving them the non-direct instructions. No, no. no. They're still acting for you. They're but still acting. There's a way to separate between... That was only if it's a story. If it's a story, right? I mean, if I'm giving a... Di- I'd have to say, when we dive in, sometimes we get very hot, 
Good luck with that one. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, or, you know, we start davening at X amount, X time. So separation from a poor Shabbos after Shabbos only if you're not getting a positive result out of it. Correct. Um, correct. Yeah, sorry? That's, that's what I was wondering. Like, what, what if you say, um, we're in shul, we have a shul, when we die, when we turn on the light, or we need the light. Yeah, so I, I don't know if the, 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 you know, there's a concept or certain Mahalchah Shabbos we're allowed to, like, what we call have la, like, kind of mix, you know, say it like, oh, top of the weekend Shabbos. Over here, if I say turn on the lights every time we daven, and included in that is Shabbos, I, I don't believe there's any heter for such a thing. The notion of, of including it in other things is, is like a payment thing where there it would make sense to say the payment is not about Shabbos, the payment is for the other days. And yeah. um, so I, I don't, I, if you're saying it explicitly, and one of the days is, is um, yeah, one of the days is. Um, okay. Shabbos, thank you. Okay, one of those days. Sorry. Um, okay, so let's just um, fridge. Let's okay. Let, let's talk about the fridge very briefly. I have to run. Um, so so let's talk about a fridge. Nowadays, most of our fridge. So light bulbs on in the fridge. Who's been there? We've all been there, right? Um, so light bulbs nowadays. You know. So nowadays, it's it's it's. Uh, so here, here's the deal. When it comes, it's worse. Uh, it's harder to get around, but it's also better because most of our lights are LED lights, which are rabbinic according to most postkin. Um, so it's better and worse. Better and worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In hotels, it's a disaster. By the way, there's a magnet. If you're ever stuck in a hotel, call me before Shabbos. I found like an amazing way of tricking the light. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Magnets, it's great. Okay, so uh, it's cool. Um, so here's the deal. So when it comes to mitzvot, the postkin allow a person to be in violation of... So let's talk about fridges back. If you have a, a, a light bulb in your fridge, most people don't, I don't think at this point, but like a, yeah, a light bulb, a real light bulb, awesome, wow. An incandescent light bulb, cool. Um, so, so if you had an incandescent light bulb, so um, Ramosha is, is lenient, okay? I'm not going to get into the whole reason, even though that's, that's biblical, but he has a number of different factors, mitigating factors, which allows for the sake of eating your, your Shabbos meal, okay? Broad, general, so bottom line is you'd be allowed to have your fridge opened. You'd be allowed to ask Nanju to unscrew, meaning you're allowed to ask Nanju to open a fridge, even though it turned the light bulb on, to get your Shabbos food out. And then you'd be allowed to ask Nanju, please unscrew the light bulb so I could keep on using this fridge. You'd be allowed to ask that explicitly. I'm not going to get into all the reasons why, because that's a biblical prohibition if it's a real, uh, if it's incandescent light bulb. Um, and he nonetheless allows it. But for, let's say, our fridges, which m- most fridges, excuse me, most fridges, uh, which are going to be rabbinic pro- prohibition, the poskim are lenient when it comes to, for the sake of a mitzvah, you would be allowed to ask an anju to do things which are necessary to fulfill mitzvahs, but only if it's a rabbinic prohibition. So let's say we're moving away from a group of people now, okay? Now it's just me. I want to have my Shabbos meal, okay? And my food is stuck in the fridge, and my fridge has an LED light. I'd be allowed to ask an anju to open the, open the fridge to get the food out. So I'll give you one other example, then I apologize, I have to run. Um, and that is uh, putting, uh, let's say you have food uh, that, that is, let's say there's an oven that's on already. So no one's turning on the oven, which would have been biblical. The oven's on already. And putting food directly into an oven, okay, which wasn't in the oven when Shabbos began, would be a rabbinic prohibition. In the oven. I'm not talking about a plata or whatever. Putting it in an oven. Okay? Allowed or not allowed? For the sake of Shabbos food. Shabbos. Sorry? On Shabbos. Excuse me. Yes, on Shabbos. You allowed to ask an to do this on Shabbos? Based on what we're just, so let's see. So if it's, if it's, yeah, well, if it's your Shabbos main food that you need for your Shabbos meal, the answer would be yes, where it gets even, right? So if let's say you're, so the post can get into a lot of detail about like what's, how much food can you put? Can you have like an eight course meal, which you may otherwise have and say this, we might need it for Shabbos. The post can say you have to pick your, like your main foods that you need for your Shabbos meal. So again, let's have an oven that's on. Okay. You're allowed to ask it on you. Correct. Cooking cannot be done because cooking is biblical. We're talking about warm, hot food. Uh, sorry, cold food that needs to be warmed up. But you, you could eat cold. You could eat cold, but it's not... But yeah, even though you could eat it cold, nonetheless, right? So, for example, every time that any of you go, any of us go to a kiddush in Baltimore, okay, uh, the food, 
what Starkey's psak, which every other city thinks is crazy, this is uh, whatever, is is that we have our the 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 non Jews go ahead and they place the kugels and they place the whatever. Again, it's pre it's already heated, it's already cooked. They're not cooking for you on Shabbos, but they're putting it directly into the oven, right? And then they take it out on Shabbos and serve it. Now, why are they doing that? The argument that Rav Heinemann has is that, again, it's for the needs of Shabbos, for your Shabbos oneg, okay? Even though it's just, so, and, and bottom line, it's Kiddush. Why is it so important? He says, since some people are having their Shabbos meal at the Kiddush, therefore, you're allowed to heat up all the kugels for everyone to enjoy at the Kiddush. Now, I remember when I first got my job here in Baltimore, the first job was like, hey, they do this. I don't know if it's allowed. I didn't learn this. So I remember calling a rabbi, and I literally had to hold my phone over here. He was yelling and screaming at me. He's like, oh, sir, rabbi. Fine. And then I found out that everyone in Baltimore does it because Rabbi Heinemann says it's fine. And that's what we all do. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a novel leniency when we think about it, right? It's a novel leniency. He's saying that since, right, to just heat up food because I want to have like one extra kugel. Let's say I had a cholent and I had whatever. I had the main course and I forgot to heat up one kugel. Okay? So I'm not asking, not asking on you to, to go and put that into an oven that's on. Okay? Rav Heidemann's novelty is that at a big kiddush, at a kiddush, there's certainly people who are going to make this their meal, and therefore you're allowed to explicitly ask an Anju to put the kugels and whatever in the, in the oven, because that's going to be their suda. Fascinating. Okay, let's just quickly review, um, and just so that we, we get the principles straight. Well, we'll review next week again. I know it's a lot of principles. The bottom line is, I, I, you, could re, you could read through this all together yourself, yourself but the bottom line is as follows. Um, when it comes to the performance of a mitzvah, uh, in and of itself, you cannot ask a non-Jew to perform a biblical violation. Um, if it's for the sake of uh, a large group of people, Okay, then the answer is that according to most posts, you can ask a non-Jew to do something for the sake of a mitzvah, uh, for, the, for a large amount group of people. So again, for a shul setting, you would be allowed to ask a non-Jew to go ahead and turn the lights on or turn the heat on or turn the air conditioning on. That would be allowed according to most poskim. And for the sake of an individual mitzvah, you would be allowed to ask a non-Jew to, 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 to violate what would be a rabbinic prohibition. So for example, opening the fridge would be allowed because that's a rabbinic prohibition. Assuming you have an LED light, you'd be allowed to ask them to do something that would help you to perform a mitzvah as long as it's a rabbinic violation. So again, mitzvah. If it's a group of people, you could ask them to violate a biblical prohibition. If it's a single individual or a small group of people, you'd be allowed to ask them to violate a rabbinic prohibition. You could read this all. It'll be a good review and I'll review again next week. I know it's a lot of principles. We'll, we'll, it'll settle in. I'm sorry. I know it's a lot, but we're, we'll keep on reviewing it. We'll, we'll, we'll get it all down. I'm, I'm pretty confident. 